Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Good morning, everyone. I assume it's the morning is when people are listening to this, but you're listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everybody? Austin, what's new, man? Uh, yeah, what's, <laughs> what's new in my world? Um, I, I, would, I don't know, man. Like, I can't really give you much updates because I feel like I'm always working kind of on the same do, things. One do, you thing, like, do you feel like the days and the weeks are just kind of getting jumbled together? <laughs> yes, yes. So... You're new here in entrepreneurship, so let me tell you. Every day, days pass by so quickly, and you don't even realize when it's the weekend, which is a great thing at the same time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress, yeah. more so than actual, um, like a full-time corporate job, right? Because you can't really turn your brain off at any one moment. Yeah. Um, even today, I was up until 2 a.m., which is why I pushed this preamble back a bit, Mayu. I needed a bit more sleep so I can have a bit more energy because my brain was just pacing, thinking about different things, right? Like about the business. Yeah. I just couldn't turn my brain off. Um, but yeah, like the days pass by really quick in the world of entrepreneurship. However, the fun part is, is that every reward um, that comes with the business is because of the fruits of your labor. It's something that you've done to directly contribute to the success of your business. You, you know what I find is difficult, I think. So when you're when you're working a nine to five job, it's kind of like, OK, like I'm going to get the pay, paid the same regardless. Right. Like, I guess unless you're in like some like heavy sales role. Right. Versus I think in the self-employed role, it's the more time and effort you put into the business, the more you can get paid. Right. So it seems, it feels almost like wrong to like not be working on the weekend. Cause it's like the more work I do this weekend, the more like money I can earn. Right. Versus mm-hmm. like a job. It was always, if I had to work the weekend, it was like F this shit. Right. Um, so that's, I think been a, a major learning lesson. It's tough to like stop working. Cause you're like, you feel guilty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were you working yesterday during your anniversary? <laughs> I hope not, man. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Oh, no. Oh, I, no. Yeah. I had to come back at a decent time, stop it early for like a 9.30 p.m. mortgage call. So <laughs> my wife. Oh, wow. All, all, yeah, all times of the day, eh? Yeah. I guess that, that's what comes with the business. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? Like my wife was asking me the same thing because she's like, look, like, we don't need to work this hard. Like, why are you working so hard? I'm like, because, oh no, I, we were talking about like what our, our lessons learned in the last year was, right? And I'm just like, life is short. And like, you guys have some weird conversations. You guys have conversations like that? <laughs> you, know, the, you know, my wife, my wife was in a mood and she was like, so why you like, what's something good, bad and something that you learned in the last year? And I'm like, well, okay. Like, I don't, I don't freaking know. <laughs> but um, I was just like, look, like life's short. And just like fucking like, just fuck it, fuck it for everything. Right. Just like, that's kind of like my motto. It's just like, Life's too short to like give a frick, give a fuck about anything. Um, and then she's like, well, then why are you working so hard? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I don't really feel like I'm working. Like I do genuinely enjoy what I do. Right. So I'm like, that's why I keep doing it. Cause it's just like, it's fun. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, that was just, that was just like a completely different side tangent, man. <laughs> What's going on in the business? You guys getting any wholesale deals coming out? Yeah. Yeah. So we have onboarded a couple of wholesalers onto our team. So if I was to kind of paint out the org chart, there is a visionary and integrator, the visionary being uh, more so Wayland. So you can think about that as the CEO of the company, the person who has the big vision and direction of where to pull the company to and building the culture of it. 
And the integrator is the person on the operational and execution end, right? On how to take that vision and make it happen to work with the visionary and see what is practical or not. So those are kind of the two up there positions with Whalen and I. And then we move down, we have our acquisitions team headed by Whalen, right? So if you think about it right now, Whalen's filling up two roles. So we want to fill out that acquisitions role sometime in the next couple of months or maybe next year with someone else. So that'll be significant workload off his plate, right? And under that acquisitions role, we have a lead intake manager, which we hired someone full-time for. And then now we've hired three acquisitions manager under that acquisitions head, right? Um, And those three acquisitions managers, obviously their job is to get some deals. Um, So we do have some deals we're working on in the pipeline. We have a deal right now in Hamilton as well. Uh, And another deal that we're hoping to not close on, but get under contract in Hamilton. So that's the acquisition side. And then we have the dispositions, right? Which is headed by myself. And under dispositions, there's not really any particular role. Dispositions can really be managed by one person. That's like taking your phone calls, drafting your emails, so on and so forth. So we need to fill that bucket in somewhere down the line. So I don't have to do that work. Then we have finance, which is headed by myself as well. And there's the finance head, which is more so the analysis of the financials, so on and so forth. And underneath them, there's the bookkeeper, which is just really the bookkeeping side of things, right? Uh, And then, so we want to fill out the finance. So I'm filling out both of those roles right now. And then lastly, or two more things is marketing, which is social media, branding, and direction of that. That sounds like getting more reviews, getting more followers. That's really headed by our uh, assistant, our virtual assistant right now. And then operations, which is like transactional stuff, like contracts, amendments, anything lawyer related and that's also headed by our va and lastly this is kind of a bonus that doesn't really tie i guess it's part of the business but not really directly tied to wholesaling is the project management which is uh flips and acquisitions for the internal business and underneath that we want a project manager and a property manager um but right now like a lot of those are filled by either whalen or i and we're high we're like our for us to be an automated business we have to fill these boxes this is kind of our structure we have in mind. And now it's a matter of filling these little boxes with different people to slowly take work off our plate, right? And for us to expand and grow, we just add more boxes and fill it with people. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of what's going on. Work chart. That's legit work chart. So you guys spend some time planning, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I mentioned this a couple of times. I'm holding the book, Traction. Right. right. We mentioned this earlier in the podcast. And I'm at the part where we're creating what they call an accountability chart. And how big businesses start with a small accountability chart, fill it out with who's doing what. And when you see multiple names in a box, eventually you want to, you know, start filling those names with people you can trust so you can be more out of the business. And as your business grows, you add more functions, more boxes and and put more roles there and continue to fill those gaps of the business. Um, But yeah, like that's a quick little lesson (laughs) for uh, entrepreneurs looking to scale a business. Yeah, that's it. That's a, it's an interesting model. I think we talked about it before as well, like how you guys essentially want to be like more hands off or focusing more on growing the business rather than the individual deals that you guys were working on early on. Right. So that's mm-hmm. impressive, man. I've always wondered like how you scale like a wholesaling business because arguably the, the hardest part, the, the most value add part, no, maybe not the most value add part, but the hardest part is just negotiating deal. Right. So it's just like, how do you outsource that? But I guess Wayland's got significant like sales experience. I'm sure he's like training like your acquisition manager yeah. and so on. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we're, we're spending a lot of time on training, right? Because Waylon has that corporate sales background. Um, yeah. How about you, man? Any, anything new on your end? 
Uh, just a flip that closed. Um, when did it close? I think it closed last week, like Thursday or something like that. And then we ended up having to just close the cash because like our, the privates was just being delayed. And we were just like, fuck it. Like, we're just going to close this cash because it was like three days before closing. And the lawyers went back and forth on like terms and like the schedules and stuff like that. I'm like, ah, I'm just going to close this cash. Like, sorry, guys. Like, this is just way too close and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get out there and I visit the site. And like, basically what they did is, Matt, I, I can't even describe this, but there was a room that I couldn't get into, right? When I first went, it was just like blocked off with like furniture, right? And is this basement or upstairs? Upstairs, upstairs. Okay. But it was blocked off with furniture. And I was like, all right, like the guys here, I'm not really going to start like throwing around his furniture and like trying to get into that room. Um, I didn't know what it was, right? So initially I thought the house was a two bedroom. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I get there this, uh, I get there on Monday because the guy left like whatever. And I like, like moved around his furniture. I opened the room. I kid you not. It's a bedroom. Filled to the top with garbage. Oh, like, whoa. Fucking like a shit ton of garbage. Bro. I was like, what the? And I opened the door and like a bunch of like bugs just started like flying out of the room. Oh my God. So that's going to be like Alisa Grand and uh, clean up. Oh man, our drunk removal goes fuck. We're, I think we, so far we filled up um, six or seven bins, like large bins wow. of junk. Yeah. And we still have like an entire basement full of junk and like our laborers, like, he was pissed, right? Because he, he was like, guys, like, you, you guys didn't tell me about this room. Like, and then there was, like, needles and shit in there, too, right? So, and, like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't see needles. I'm not, like, you know, inspecting. Like, it, it was, just wasn't that obvious. Um, mm-hmm. So then we had to pay him a, a heavy amount in labor, right? So, again, to do that shit. Because I was like, yeah, we've got the bins. We've got, like, four bins coming. Like, mm-hmm. like we're going to waste money if we don't get this done. Uh, mm-hmm. So we had to, like, jack up his rate. And, yeah, but, you know what? Like, now that all the junk is gone, like, you can actually see the space. Um, it's a three bedroom, one washroom house that we're planning to just make into a two washroom house. Everything else is like straight cosmetic, right? Like new kitchen, new floors, new paint, some new drywall. Uh, the mold situation is not as bad as we thought, but we are ripping out a lot of drywall because like nicotine stains everywhere. And like, mm. at some point it's just easier to replace it. But yeah, yeah, man, the flip side is going good. And, um, yeah, th- there was another flip in, in North Pickering that I was trying to lock up and, uh, ended up. How did that come along? Off market? That one, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna say the wholesaler's name, but it was a uh, it was a wholesale deal. He was asking mm-hmm. for four fifty for it, bro, and I was like, "This is like twenty for a single family home." Yeah, but it's twenty five minutes from my parents' house. But you know, like north of Taunton, like north of Steeles in Pickering, there's like mm-hmm. this like farmy area, like yeah, small yeah, yeah. like little towns. Yeah, so it's yeah. one of those, but it's still like okay. close proximity to yeah. Pickering and Markham. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Yo, four fifty, like this is super hard to go wrong at this mm-hmm. price, right?" Mm-hmm. So I started. I was trying to lock it up tight and seen, and then a bunch of other people had the same idea, and then it went up to five thirty, and I was like, "Fuck it, like I'm out." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <what> you want. <laughs> yeah, man, that that's amazing. Like, especially within you said it's within how much minutes of Pickering? 10, 15 uh, minutes. Pickering was probably like fifteen minutes from my parents' house to live in Markham. It was like 20, 25 minutes. So yeah, that's that's sick proximity, yeah. man, for a single family detached house. And, you know, yeah, so like I I really like those like farm style living right like really yeah. small towns like small communities i like that so i was like yo like i might just buy this be like get flipping it but my mm-hmm. wife wasn't too crazy about it and like it's tough because in in if you're moving to like these small towns and i saw the same thing with cottage country when we had our flip in tiny ontario it's you're not getting a cottage to have like a, a 50 by 100 lot right like you want like a 200 by 200 or some like good size mm-hmm. lot mm-hmm. right yeah and this this property that we were looking at in the small town was like a 60 by 150 or something like that so but it's not enough to separation from neighbors yeah exactly it's the smallest yeah. lot in this town and it's like if you're like selling your house in pickering or markham or whatever you're moving to a small town you likely don't want like this like really yeah th- there's the reason why people move in these townships yeah. right 
Um, but yeah, no, that that's awesome, dude. And we're going to jump straight into the podcast. We had a, quite a long preamble this time around. In the podcast today, we have an amazing and young real estate investor, Kokun. He actually started real estate investing straight out of high school. So um, a funny story, actually, he wanted to go to university and, and started looking at student rentals and said, you know what? I'm just going to buy a student rental. And that was his first exposure into real estate investing. And he became a millionaire at the age of 25. That's that's absolutely insane. So he's purchased and sold nine rental properties and holds properties in Mississauga and the Niagara municipality. And he's also now a real estate entrepreneur, having his own real estate team called the Cocon team in the Niagara municipality, which helps investors grow their real estate portfolio there. We talk about conversions in this episode, the numbers of deals in Niagara to expect, and also how he was able to get started in real estate at such an early age and still continue to grow despite any financing constraints. This is the episode you don't want to miss out, especially if you're a young investor looking to get started. Make sure to tune in. Today, we are joined with a very special guest, Kokun. Kokun, how are you doing, man? Doing good, doing good. How are you? We're not too bad. We're not too bad. Awesome, Kokun. So my first time meeting you here today on the podcast, I know you and Austin know each other, but for a guest and along with myself, why don't you give us a high level uh, how you got started both in your investing journey and your realtor journey uh, and what you're doing today. Sure. Yeah. So if we go to the very beginning, I was in high school um, and I got accepted to university and I went on the on-campus uh, sort of dormitory tours, right? At that time, I just noticed how expensive it was to live on campus. And I just had this idea in a moment of like, what if I could buy a house off campus, live in one bedroom, rent out the other rooms to my friends or, you know, classmates and try to live for free. I just had this idea all out of the blue. I didn't know how to buy a property or anything involved in buying a property at that point, but that just was a spark that got me started on this journey. So then I sort of Googled it, looked up, okay, how do you buy a property? What's involved in a student rental? I got connected with some realtors who were investment focused and um, they sort of shared what they knew about student rentals, but also, hey, why don't you look outside the GTA at markets about an hour, hour and a half outside of the Toronto area, which is where I you know, grew up. So I never really considered that before. Uh, and at that point, I didn't know anything <laughs> what was involved in owning a, an investment property. So uh, that sort of opened my eyes. And when starting out, it was it was me, my brother, we were partners. And then we had uh, our parents who our whole family immigrated to Canada back in 2008, right? So we were still living together at that point. And uh, yeah, we brought this idea to my parents. Hey, what do you guys think? Shall we buy a property together? At that point, they didn't even own a, a primary residence, right? We were, we were renting. And, uh, but if you guys are familiar with Sri Lankans and most, most, most Asian countries, like owning real estate is like revered, right? It's like, as soon as you <laughs> make a good income, you should, you should try to buy a house, right? Mm-hmm. So they were on board with the idea and um, yeah, we, we, that was our first foray into investing and that uh, started sort of snowballing and got involved in other, other deals. And uh, yeah, eight years later, here I am. (laughs) That's phenomenal, man. Just to paint the picture a bit more. So uh, it originally started with you going to university, trying to find like a residence to stay in. Um, What unit was that in Toronto or that? So it was, it was UFT uh, in Mississauga. 
Okay, and then you ended up buying where? Not in Mississauga, I assume, right? Another. So thing. it's funny. So the first property we bought as a family was up in Barrie, uh, just a single family home. The second one we bought in Cambridge. But the third one, this is just me and my brother now. We actually went back and bought in Mississauga near UFT. So we ended up buying this condo with like five and six bedrooms. Uh, rented them out. What? what condo? Yep. yep. We own, <laughs> we own three in that building right now. And it's, nice. it's been phenomenal, right? They, they rent for like six to 700 bucks a month. And the, it's one of those buildings that you would overlook typically because it's an older condo building, 70s built. And it also has, uh, it, when we bought it, it had like a $700 condo fee, mm-hmm. which now Expensive. I guess, yeah, it's, it's high compared to anything new. But if you look in Toronto now, many of the, even the smaller one or two bedroom condos that are a bit older have like thousand dollar condo fees, right? So yeah. um, anyways, that it, it was high. It's, it, I think it was a deterrent to other investors, but we just ran the numbers, right? We're like, okay, 700 is like one student's rent and we pay cash flow from the other four and it, it worked out. So mm-hmm. it, it really worked out in a funny way. I looked at units for sale in that condo building when I first had this idea and I didn't even know anything about how to analyze a deal, but I just saw they were cheap, right? Mm-hmm. There were condo units that were like in the 200,000 range in Mississauga, right? In- that are five to six bedrooms? Yeah, yes. <laughs> this is crazy, yeah. Well, the first one we bought was 240. And yeah. it currently has six bedrooms that bring in, what is it now? Over 3,200 in rent. So it, it worked it out. It was always, like, it was always six bedrooms or you like retrofitted we, it? We it. made a sixth bedroom, but it doesn't okay. look... It was always five bedrooms. It was always five. Crazy. It was always. I never heard a condo with so many bedrooms. It's like half a floor, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's 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 one of those older style stacked condo townhouses. So there's like a there's a two level, and then there's another two level on top of it, and another two level on top of it. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Honestly, that building, man. I think in the future, if prices go up enough, I can really see those units turning around into like luxury units because they're on Dundas road in Mississauga. Like if they were like really well renovated and if the building was renovated to like a high quality, those yeah. could be some sweet units. Like one mm-hmm. of our student rentals is on the top floor. We have like a 10 by 10 balcony, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's nice. a pretty cool outdoor space to have. <laughs> and it's no one uses it now because it, it's full of students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first property, I, I kind of want to walk through that. Um, sure. So you guys decided that you wanted to purchase a property. You were in high school at the time. Obviously, financing wasn't an option, <laughs> but you still made it happen. You got the information that you needed and you went to your parents, went to your brother, had that business plan. How did that, I guess, um, what, what was the criteria that you were looking for? Because nowadays, Barry doesn't really cash flow as single families, right? But yeah. at the time you were looking... Um, it, it obviously did. So walk me through that process and how you decided on that market. Uh, we didn't necessarily decide on that market. We were just looking anywhere outside of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So any of the cities within the periphery where we could buy a property. And at that time, we were trying to pull off the rent-to-own strategy, which we found rent-to-own tenants several times, but no, it, it never ended up working out. We ended up selling that first property actually to a 
regular tenant who lived there for, I think, two years. Nice. And then we just asked them, hey, we're thinking of selling. Are you interested in buying it? And they're, they, they actually qualified and they were able to purchase it from us. So it kind of worked out. But anyway, so our, our strategy was the rent-to-own. So with the rent-to-own, you get a deposit up front. You get typically higher than market rents. But then you lock in a sale price within two to three years. So we knew that we were going to make some cash flow and some profit through the strategy, not necessarily because single families cash flow that well. And even at that time, the cash flow was not too great. This was back in 2013 when mm-hmm. we started. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, our criteria was in order to pull that strategy off, a single family home that was in good shape, that was in a good neighborhood that would attract someone who would want to do a rent to own, which is typically the higher end of the single family rental market. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we found this uh, end unit townhouse. So I remember when we started, there were a few homes we put offers on, put inspection conditions, and we had to walk away from. We actually, I think two other homes initially we had to inspect and you know things came up. And at that time, we weren't looking to do any renovations. We just wanted something turnkey, easy to get set up. Um, and then this, this property popped up. It was a, a nice 2004 built end unit townhome. We bought it for, I think, around 250000 at that time. We found a rent-to-own tenant. They paid, I think, three months worth of rent. And then they stopped paying rent. Oh, I was going to say, that's pretty sweet. And then... <laughs> yeah. And then we had a Not few so months of vacancy getting them out. Uh-huh. And we, we tried it again. We, we tried the rent-to-own with this lady who was bringing international students. So she did a rent-to-own from us. And then she would put international students in the rooms and then use that rent to pay us. And she gave us like 10 grand up front. And then after six months, she said she couldn't find students to keep the place full and she had to walk away from that, that as well. So yeah, eventually we were just sick of it. We're like, okay, let me, let's just rent it out to a family who's just going to pay us rent, not bother with the rent to own. Um, and I think we were getting anywhere starting from 1500 and eventually up to like 1700 in rent uh, before we sold it. Nice, nice. So obviously it wasn't a very positive first experience, but you guys still, still made it work. You know, the numbers still worked. You were able to pivot to a long-term um, rental and, and it still appreciated and we're able to sell it to the tenant. So happy story there. Um, yep. And then let's, let's move forward a bit. Okay. So you, you bought that property and where do you go from here? Cause I know that you have properties kind of all over the place. <laughs> well, it's, it's condensed a little bit since, since uh, the last two years now. So we've sold mm-hmm. that one in Barry. The second property we bought about six months after we bought the first one in uh in cambridge so this one was a semi-detached home same same concept right same strategy um and even that same thing happened we we tried to find a rental tenant didn't quite work we ended up renting it to regular rentals right a regular family and speaking of uh difficult starts we had both of those properties and we experienced turnovers in both units and at that time we didn't understand the concept of, you know, hiring someone to lease out the property for (laughs) us, or we were just doing everything ourselves. Right. Save money, man. (laughs) Immigrant story, save every penny you can. Yeah. Yeah. But we paid the price dearly in, in terms of our lack of experience, right? Like the second property, we had like a six month vacancy until we finally realized we were trying to charge more rent than what the market could bear. And we weren't getting any decent applicants. Right. And because of our inexperience, we just waited instead of doing something about it, right? And, and the painful part was we had both of these homes vacant at the same time, multiple times. 
And we were living in Toronto, driving up to Barry to do showings twice a week and then Cambridge twice a week. So we'd have like, it was painful, right? We'd work full time. And then our, our evenings and weekends were just driving to the property to do uh, tenant showings. So that was a, that was a painful time, but definitely learned a lot, right? We, we realized, okay, we need more cash flow, right? Because even when these properties were full, they weren't making much cash flow. And when they were empty, they were really painful, right? So that, that was sort of the pivot from sort of single family homes to then the next property we bought was that, that student rental that me and my brother bought. And since buying that property, the cash flow we got from the student rentals and then afterwards our, our other properties always ensured that whenever we had a vacancy, whenever we had like a furnace break or any larger expense, there was cash flow somewhere else in the portfolio that we didn't have to pay for it, right? So uh, like the, my outlook on real estate is potentially a little bit different than, than some investors where I'm not looking for any return of cash now. I'm okay to just hold the investment for the long term. I want cash flow, but not to pay myself per se, but it's there to build up. It's there to cover everything. I don't want to pay ideally anything. I, I want to buy a property. I'll pay for the upfront renovations. But then after that, I need this property to carry itself and, and cover all the miscellaneous items that come up, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of people look at the other way, right? They go, I want cash flow so I can replace myself with like my income. But ultimately, unless you've got like a significant amount of reserves in each property, which does accumulate over time, right? After that, you can start withdrawing from these accounts. But usually I think you've got some sort of an active income, right? So yeah, um, I guess going on deeper into your journey. So after that Mississauga condo, um, what did you do from there? So you were still buying investment properties, but you were going to multifamily, it sounds like? Or? So you had Barry, Cambridge, Saga. Those are the first three, right? Yeah. So then okay. we bought... At that point, we bought a second condo in that same building, Okay. Uh, me and my brother. And this time we bought a six bedroom. So this was a, a legit six bedroom. We didn't add any, any rooms to it. And by the way, even the five bedroom that we added a room, there was already a 10 by 10 den that literally we just put a wall up mm. where there was a glass door. So we didn't like chop up the living room into a bedroom. It still has a living room. So anyways, we just want to put that out there because I've seen... That's good to specify because everyone would assume (laughs) you walk in and it's bedrooms everywhere in a washroom kitchen. That's (laughs) crazy. Yeah, you probably know this a lot, right? Dealing with student rentals. There are some student rentals that are just like actually... It's a freak of a property. Yeah, you can't resell it. (laughs) Unless it's to another student rental uh, investor. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, yeah, so we bought a second one. This one was unique because me and my brother lived in two of the bedrooms. So we just stayed in two of the bedrooms and then we rented the other four. And it it was cash flow positive with both of us living there. This is the crazy part. And we had like underground parking. We we had a good time <laughs> staying there. It, um, so yeah, I stayed there for a year and then I moved to the Niagara region. Uh, so around this time I was working at RBC, I was getting my realtor license And then I started out by helping other realtors sort of do their showings, do their inspections. That was sort of my learning process. And at that time, a lot of the work that I was helping them with was in Hamilton, was in St. Catharines, Niagara side. Uh, So I just found myself driving a lot. And a friend of mine actually owned a property in St. Catharines in like the roughest downtown part of St. Catharines. And he just left it vacant because he had tenants who were just terrible tenants and he couldn't find good tenants for this property, right? So you can imagine <laughs> the, the neighborhood it was in. And I told him, listen, I was just single back then. And I was like, 
I just thought, I don't care about the neighborhood. I have a car. I'm going to be driving around. And it didn't really matter at that time how nice the neighborhood was for me. I just told him, I'll rent your home for a thousand bucks. I'll be there. I'll watch over it. Right. So that was sort of my move to the Niagara region. And around this time, the first two properties I bought with my family, the one in Cambridge and the one in Barrie, had built up enough equity that we could refinance, do a cash out refinance to purchase a fourplex out in uh, St. Catherine. So Mm -hmm. that was sort of the first... Actually, no, before this, actually, I bought a duplex in St. Catherine's with... uh, Sorry. Let me me ask you this before we get into that. How are you buying all these properties? Because I just kind of assumed that you were buried all the time, but... Um, sounds like maybe you, you guys weren't renovating these properties. Like, how are you going about? Because you're at Barrie, Cambridge, Tuatsaga. Yeah, and then Duplex right. uh, and St. Catharines. Yeah, so the first two properties were financed by my parents, right? They put up the down payment. They put up the credit. The two in Mississauga, me and my brother put up the down payment, put up the credit. Uh, we bought actually... Sorry, at that time, were you still a student or no? So actually, I didn't go to university. So I was accepted. Okay. And okay. I, I took a gap year initially, but then I, I just decided not to go to university and to work instead, right? And Makes to sort sense. of pursue this investing. So paid off a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would actually yeah. be how you had the money for the down view. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. So arguably, if you went to university, you're paying your bills, your tuition, your I mean, how are you supposed to save at that point if you're a student, right? So that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, if you calculate it back, the opportunity cost is crazy because I was saving anywhere from like 70 to 75% of my income. From that first couple years, I was just living at home and working full time, right? I didn't have expenses. So I would just save like every dollar possible. That became the first down payment. Like that, that first condo that I bought with my brother, we bought for 240. It's worth around 600,000 now, right? And the second one we bought for 280, around the same, right? Like, so those savings, I was working minimum wage, slightly above minimum wage, but just those dollars saved and invested has just compounded so much at this point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, like, uh, so I was working, so I, I worked, uh, at this uh, small transportation company first. I then, uh, got a job at RBC. So my brother was uh, sort of in the travel insurance of RBC. He kind of uh, helped me get in the door there. I had to apply a couple of times, got refused <laughs> like three, four times before I got in. I, I had no credentials. I had no work experience. I just had to, to convince the recruiter that I would do a good job. Just say I have properties, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it worked out. It worked out because that job allowed me to have enough income with my brother that we could qualify for those student rentals, right? Because um, yeah, because even at those cheaper prices, you still needed a decent income to be able to qualify for those. So two, we bought two condos in that Mississauga building. At this point, my brother quits his job. He wants to pursue being a mortgage broker, right? So he quits his job and my income alone was not sufficient to qualify anymore. So we're kind of stuck, right? Uh, so these three, uh, these three brothers who are friends of ours from Sri Lanka, uh, they grew up with my brother, right? They also all moved to Canada and they were all working. And we just said, hey, why don't we partner up? Let's, let's do a joint venture, right? Me and my brother will be the working partners. You guys put up the down payment and the credit. Uh, so we bought one student rental in that building, and then we bought one duplex conversion out in St. Catharines. And this was around, yeah, 2017-ish. That was around the same time I moved to St. Catharines myself, and then we bought the fourplex in, uh, in St. Catharines. But yeah, so a lot of, <laughs> lot of different moving pieces there. Um, the, the renovation, if I can share in St. Catharines, that duplex conversion was 
pretty much as bad as it gets. I feel like I'm just sharing all the bad news. <laughs> oh, no, that's what people like to hear, man. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I, I, I've heard St. Catharines can be pretty... Um, I don't know how it was back then. When, when, was it, when was it that you moved to St. Catharines? Yeah, 2017. Oh, okay. Three, four years ago now. Yes. So since, since then, you've been, I guess, buying in St. Catharines, Niagara region? Or yeah. have, what have you been doing since 2017? Yeah, so since 2017, I bought... So we bought that duplex, we bought a fourplex in St. Catharines. And then more recently, I've personally purchased uh, two duplexes uh, in Welland. And, and I've actually just moved. So this place I moved in uh, two weeks ago, and this is in Welland as well. So I've, I've moved my primary over here as well. Yeah, so... What's the deal with Welland? Why does everyone like Welland? Like what, what's going on there? I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> Not just specialty, right? Like Niagara region in terms of being a realtor? Yeah, yeah, we okay, focus yeah. we focus a lot out here, mainly for but, the investment stuff, right? But what's what's like attracting a lot of investors? Because for sure, a lot of investors have been coming well, and for the, I feel like it's escalated over the last like year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe it's always been a predominantly like investor oriented city, but um, no, what no, it, it, it's definitely only more recently that it's it's come on the map, right? Um, I feel it's a combination of a few factors. One is St. Catharines is hard to work with, right? Welland is probably one of the most, I would arguably say one of the best cities to work with from a city perspective for permits, for uh, inspections from the city inspectors, right? And their zoning is very flexible. So basically any residential property, you can make it into a duplex and you can add a third unit. Any, any residential property, right? You have to meet the parking requirements. And, uh, but from a square footage, there's no minimums, maximums. It's very, very flexible. They, they don't cap you that way. You can have front-to-back parking, right? So you don't need super wide lots in order to make it work. So it's just... That's, and that's how all these investors are coming in and they're taking a single family, converting into a triplex. Like, yeah. We're just skipping duplexes, man. So there's no fees there? Like from single, because fa- I know in Toronto, if you go single to triplex, you pay fees, but single to duplex is fine. Can you go single to triplex without any fees? Yeah. So generally we don't pay fees. Um, the way it works is. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. He bought a single family house out there, 400K, and he's, uh, he's converting into triplex, refinancing like the high sixes. And I was like, man, yeah. what am I missing here? Your renovation uh-huh. budgets aren't that. Like it's, it's almost like what people spend on a duplex conversion and like, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the city being easy to work with definitely helps, but also from a, even just what you mentioned about fees. So the way it works is you, you have two definitions. One is a duplex and one is an in-law suite, right? So the city looks at it differently. And in order to get to three units, it's not considered a legal triplex by sort of the definition of that word. It's a legal duplex with an in-law suite. Mm-hmm. So you kind of put both uh, on the okay. same property. Uh, and that allows... So duplexes don't have uh, sort of development charges. In-law suites don't have de- development charges. So if you do both, you're fine. You have to do it one, close out the permit, and then do the second one. Right? Okay, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but many times when we do it, we do the first one while roughing in everything for the for the second one. And just to make it easier, right? So it, it's a straightforward process. But yeah, it, it's been pretty good. It's, it's curious now. If you, I have some videos on my YouTube channel where I, I chat with uh, my architect who, who helps us with all of these designs. Uh, he's now doing some curious triplex conversions where he'll take 
a average thousand square foot bungalow and make the basement into like two legal units that are 500 square feet, one bedroom, like narrow, tiny units. But the investors of those deals are looking at it as, hey, if I can rent each out for a thousand bucks, I get 2000 for my basement. And that's more rent than what I'll get from the upstairs, right? So, so what are the average kind of numbers of these, uh, these deals? I assume this is what you encourage your investors to do, right? Like this type of yep. strategy for the most part. So can we walk through like an average deal? Um, if I was to go on the MLS, pick one up, like what are the rental costs? What's the timeline? What's the purchase price? Kind of break that down. Yeah. So honestly, triplex conversions aren't necessarily what we recommend for most people, just because they're a large scope of work. Many investors we, we work with are newer investors just getting started in the journey. Um, we love the duplex conversion, right? Just one basement unit. It's a little bit simpler, um, smaller scope of renovation. Uh, in terms of starting prices right now, we're helping investors purchase anywhere from about 450 is sort of our lowest end right now. And then as high as 600 to 650. Uh, so these are bungalows, side splits, back splits. And we typically focus on the nicer parts of town. So we go to the nicer prime neighborhoods where there's not a lot of rentals. Um, and then we, we create a full legal basement apartment that renovations on the lowest end, it's been as cheap as 30,000. And on the high end, it goes up to a hundred even 120,000 based on, you know, if you can't, if you don't have anything in the basement, you have to frame, do drywall, plumbing, do everything from scratch, right? And sometimes we even do the, the renovation on the upper unit, but typically we like to get homes where the upstairs is in good shape so that the work is just focused mm -hmm. on the basement. And yeah, in terms of rents, we're getting anywhere from about 1,700 up to as high as 2,000 from the upper unit. And how many beds is that too? Typically a three bedroom upper. Three bed, okay. Yeah. And then the basements, uh, we're getting anywhere from now the low end would be about 13, 1350 to as high as about 15, 1600. For a two bedroom in the basement or? Yeah, a, a okay. two bedroom, two bedroom basement. is. And this is all inclusive, right? Uh, so not, not necessarily. On the higher end of the spectrum, it's typically all inclusive. But in the middle of the range, we do plus hydro quite a bit. Plus hydro is what we find the, the rental market is used to. The 60-40 split. Some of my clients do it, but I don't think it's uh, it's too common here. I know in Hamilton, it's it's become like the norm, but it's a bit of a tougher sell here. So what I find is if you ask for that, you tend to reduce your rent in order to get them to pay for, for the extras, which works out to about the same, right? I, mm -hmm. I personally prefer plus hydro or even inclusive. Leases, so you're doing so. two meters or no, you're doing like... Yeah, two meters. Okay, gotcha. Two meters. If you're doing a larger renovation, it's not too hard to split the hydrometers, mm -hmm. right? When the walls are open. Yeah. Uh, many times we're doing electrical in the basement anyways, because maybe it doesn't have electrical. So it's yeah, it's pretty straight. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's it's straightforward to to add that second meter and to separately mm -hmm. split it. And what are these duplexes AR being in these nicer neighborhoods? So recently, we've started to get them back in the seven to seven fifty range. Um, those have been the recent refinances. That That's pretty crazy, done. eh? Duplex or a triplex? Duplex. 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 No, no, just straight duplex. No, no third unit. These are um, some of the best neighborhoods in Welland, though, right? Yeah. So I mean, and even if you spend a hundred thousand, you're four thirty plus a hundred. You're at like five thirty. Let's say you buy. Oh, it's four fifty to six hundred. I think was that the range you were saying? Yeah, so this yeah. is where it's it's been tough. Like 
Okay. Whenever someone comes to work with me and they ask me this exact question, right? What is the ARV? Can I pull out my money? Yeah. My answer to them is no. You will pull out your renovation money and don't expect to pull out your down payment because at the time of purchase, based on your purchase price plus your renovations, is about what the ARVs are at that time. So that's been my experience for the last three, four years. What ends up happening though is like in the six months after they purchase it, we then get higher ARVs. We get higher comparable sales, higher refinances. So for example, one of my clients purchased a semi-detached last, what was it, November or October for 450,000. She put in about 100,000 to make a sweet basement apartment upstairs was in ridiculously nice shape. She rented out the upper for 2,000. She rented the basement. I think she's trying to rent it right now for around 15 or 1,600. So she's going to get like 32 to what, 3,500 in rent, right? She got a refinance appraisal at 700,000. Oh, fuck, for a semi-detached. For a semi-detached. <laughs> it's bananas, right? But when she purchased it, I had no clue if she was going to get that. Right. Yeah. There were no comparable sales or comparable refinances to even point to. So it's like pretty much every investor I've worked with, we've had to go in with the expectation that yes, we can get our renovation money out because I've I've yet to see a case where we haven't got it. Right. We're showing the invoices, hey, we spent this much money into the place. This is our purchase price. It has to be worth at least that much more since we're adding a legal unit. We can show the confirmation from the city that, you know. It was done with permits and the city is elite and the unit is a, is a legal unit. Um, but anything more than that, it, it's tough to predict on the date of purchase, right? Because at the date of purchase, all the appraisals at that point are, are less. So even right now, we're purchasing as high as 600 and our refinances are at 700, 700 to 750. So you could look at it and say, there's not a lot of margin there. And that would be true as of right now. What the future holds, who knows, right? But what we've experienced over the last few years is that we're buying in the best neighborhoods. We're buying the best quality properties. When the market appreciates, I find these neighborhoods really tend to spike up because the neighborhood is really nice homes that other people are bidding up because they just want to live there, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah, we've had a really good experience from that standpoint. All right. So so I think think that makes sense for a while. And I think ultimately what attracts a lot of people to Wallet is proximity to Toronto. We've got a lot of things going on with the, the border and the go trains and the entire like industry yeah. around there and the surrounding like cities, right? So and you get a pretty good like tenant quality as well as a result of that, right? So on that topic, uh, so Welland is one city that like a lot like everyone, a lot of investors talk about Welland, right? So you got Welland and St. Catharines. I guess my question is, are there any other in the surrounding kind of neck or regions? Are there any other areas that, like whether it's like the smaller cities like? I think Thorold is out there, right? Am I wrong? Yeah, Maybe. Thorold's in between sort of St. Catharines and Welland. Yeah, it's kind of like right in the middle, right? Like there's yeah. St. Catharines, Niagara, and Welland. And you just got Thorold right there in the middle. So what's, what's up with that? <laughs> uh, Thorold, I'm honestly not too much of a fan of. I've done a few deals there, mainly student rentals. Okay. Uh, it's close to Brock University, right? So if you're interested in rentals, there's some, some opportunity there. But Thorold has interesting restrictions from the city standpoint. So you can't have an in-law suite that is in a basement. So you can only do in-law suites that are above ground, which doesn't quite work, right? How do you, how do, you do that? Uh, so the, the whole duplex strategy doesn't really work in, in Thorold. Yeah. Um, how about 
Fort Erie. No one talks about that. And that's also part of the Niagara municipality. Yeah. yeah. So Fort Erie is, is one that we're looking into now. We haven't done a lot of work there. Uh, we're still on in the researching side to figure out, is the city reasonable to work with to do like a duplex conversion strategy? Um, like we know a lot of investors who are buying the existing multifamily there, duplex, triplex, fourplex, right? Maybe just turning over the units, renovating it. Uh, which is fine, right? Those those are available. Prices there have you know come up a lot, same as with most areas of the Niagara region. Uh, so Fort Erie and Port Colburn are sort of the cities in the Niagara region on the Lake Erie side, right? So they're on the sort of edge of the peninsula there. Smaller towns, right? Um, yeah, they're smaller towns, but I mean, in terms of opportunity you can invest in those cities and we will likely be doing more work there. But personally, for my own investing, I would stick with Welland being a little bit of a bigger market and yeah, just a bigger population, highway access, right? Port Erie has highway access, but Port Colburn has just like a main road from Welland mm. right on that last stretch. So, And tenant quality, I assume in Port Erie is probably not nearly as good as the Welland ice, right? Yeah, yeah, you would, it would be, so with Welland, we've experienced pretty much, I would say 50-50 where half of our tenants are locals, just people who work in Welland. And the other half are people looking for better rentals from other cities. So we'll get people from Niagara Falls, St. Catharines, or even as far as like Hamilton or even Mississauga. Interesting. Um, the Mississauga case is typically a relocation case where they're sort of moving to the Niagara region from from out of the area, but we've, we've had some crazy cases. Like one of my clients has a tenant that their income was like over what, 10, 15,000 combined as a family a month. Right. And they were renting like a, an upper level of a duplex for what was it? 1650 or 1750 at that time. So like, yeah, incredible, like tenant profile. I don't know how long they're going to stay if they make that much money in, in Welland. Right. But at least for a year or two should be good. So mm-hmm. occasionally we get those. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of newer investors, right? And uh, obviously property prices have increased significantly, but most notably in the GTA and surrounding areas within the GTA to the point where I've seen articles. I didn't I didn't dig into the data, guys. This is just a headline. It could be completely bullshit where they're saying like Hamilton is even one of the most overpriced markets globally, so on and so forth. What type of capital, which, yeah, it's, it's odd, right? But what type of <laughs> capital do you need to uh, just setting expectations to um, break into the well and market while getting a cash flow in property. And I assume it's probably going to be via the duplex um, conversion strategy. And it doesn't have to be the same areas that you're like you're investing in, but just in general, if you were to give a ballpark. If you were getting started, I would, I would look to have at least, yeah, be able to purchase up to that 600,000 purchase price, about 120 down payment and then closing costs. The renovation budget can be anywhere from 50 to 100 grand. But if you are starting out, I typically say, like, let's look for a home with a finished basement, something where you can make the second suite without doing it from scratch, right? Try to find a a basement where it's a little bit easier to get it started. And even if you don't have that money available, because I'm like, I'm certain that when we do these renovations, we can pull out the cost of our renovation. So even if you don't have it in cash, if you have it on even an unsecured line of credit or something where, mm-hmm. again, you don't want to pay credit card interest rates, but if you can pay like 
five, six, seven percent for a few yeah. months, it, it does nothing at the end of the day, right? So that's if you're really getting started, if you're really tight on cash. But honestly, I'm 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 not stuck to the legal duplex strategy. That's just where I found mm-hmm. the most success in terms of a strategy that allows us to buy properties in nice neighborhoods and get cash flow. If you're really tight on cash, there are existing legal duplexes in the city that are cheaper, right? They won't be in as nice neighborhoods and mm-hmm. maybe they're older properties. They're not perfect properties, but I have nothing against buying one of those if that's the first property and if that's the only thing you can afford, right? Like that gets your foot in the door. It gets you your first property and those will typically still cash flow as well. You may have different challenges to work with where maybe it's an older property. It has more maintenance items or more sort of long-term repairs that need to go into it. Maybe your tenant profile is a little bit tougher to deal with. So either you have a property manager to deal with it or you're you're dealing with those whatever issues that come up as a result of having a tougher tenant profile. But again, all of these are challenges that can be overcome, mm-hmm. right? If, if your goal is to get started and you have limited cash, you need to, you need to do something, right? Yeah. You need to make, you need to, you need to make what is it? Lemonade out of lemons. Like it, it is what it is. Like you're competing in a game with people with a lot of money. And the important part is to, of course, get your foot in the door might not be exactly what you're looking for, but I mean, with the with the strict budget, you got to make compromises. Like, yeah, people just want things perfect. It, it's never perfect. Yeah. Very, very rarely, I assume even with your clients, like as you go through the process, like sometimes there are hiccups as well. It's like, oh, we didn't see X, Y, Z coming. Mm-hmm. Like me and Mayu are over twenty properties now each, and we see that with almost still every deal. There's things that come and go. Oh, shit! Like, what could we have done to prevent this? Nothing much really. It's just mm-hmm. the name of the game in real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Wilkin. So I think at this point, we generally just like to ask our guests uh, three kind of questions just to get a good understanding of, of who you are and what your goals are and so on, right? So, Skokin, so where, where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? I don't know. I I don't know if I would change too much. Right now, I'm I'm in a pretty good place where I have like an awesome team of people that I'm working with on the realtor side, right? We um, they're doing an incredible job. I have two realtors working with us. We have an admin and I have like a video guy that we, we film content together. So I, I, my goal is probably to keep that growing for the next, yeah, next five years, no doubt. Um, personally, I think I'll be traveling a lot more <laughs> once things open up. Uh, so me and my wife, we just really want to go traveling and, uh, yeah, as soon as things open up, we're, we're going to try to do that a lot more. Um, on the investing side, yeah, my goal is to, to keep sort of growing. Just my, my strategy is a little bit different. I've chosen to go the path of only buying properties moving forward by myself. So I've had JV partners prior and, and it's worked out, you know, it, they've got good returns. We, I've got a lot of benefit out of that, but at this point, I, I prefer to just use my own capital and invest it and, and also, um, yeah, within our business, the the nice part about being incorporated is that retained earnings we can plop it directly as down payments into the next mm-hmm. purchases, right? So definitely going to take advantage of that. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm not saying I'm opposed to joint venturing. Maybe there comes a time where that changes, but like uh, I I come at it from the perspective of how much do I need, not necessarily what is the maximum I can achieve, and. Yes. I, I kind of look at it as if I have 10 to 20 properties well, already I'm at nine, but if I, if I have 20 properties that I don't have partners on and then 
you know, I work on, I don't know, maybe paying them off, right? We'll see if I decide to do that or not. Financially, I'm at a place at that point that I have more money than I need. Like literally anything that I would, maybe not something super extravagant, but anything in my daily life that I would want is covered. I don't have to worry about not money not coming in to, to cover anything. Right. And it's a super easy life as well, right? Like you're not exactly. accountable to any partners. You do what you want. You hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I will, I will say that the the JV partners we have outside of my family have been great to deal with. Like those three brothers, they've they've been incredible. Despite the difficulties we had on their deals, uh, we've all had to cough up extra money put into that to keep the property afloat and to pay for overages and renovations. But they've been they've been great to deal with. Um, my family, on the other hand, not quite as much. I mean, no, this is awesome, but no, I feel like I can really, <laughs> yeah, owning properties with family definitely puts a strain on the family relationship where it's like, but because they, they always ask the questions, like, oh, what's happening now? Like, every time it's like, I, I don't want to be updating you every second, and yeah. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news because there's always <laughs> some sort of bad news, right? But it's like, shit, it's just, and they don't always yeah. fully understand, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And honestly, so right now I've sold off the first two properties that we purchased and even my fourplex in St. Catharines, we're preparing it to sell in the next little bit so that I can be out of all my family JVs, except with my brother. My brother's cool. We're, we're on the same page. Our mindset's the same, right? So uh, yeah, he's, he's the one partner I have that like, I'll say something, we need to do this. He's like, sure, let's do it, right? There's no conference room boardroom discussion of like why it makes sense right no it's just if it needs to be done we do it exactly yeah fantastic the second question here is if you want 10 million dollars and uh you have seven days to spend it okay you cannot spend it all on real estate yeah you can buy some real estate with it but uh what would you do with it and why only seven days to spend it (laughs) you have seven yeah you have seven days to spend it (laughs) okay I mean, the real estate portion, I'd buy like a sweet lakefront property. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of it... Niagara on the lake? <laughs> yeah, potentially. Nice. Then, then all 10 million will get spent. Yeah, I know. I was just going to say, <laughs> I was going to take a good chunk of it. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably something to do with traveling. Like the one, I don't know if it's going to cost 10 million, but my, my dad, uh, when he was younger, traveled in Africa in, um, I think, Zimbabwe or Tanzania. I think. Actually, Tanzania, right? In the safaris. And he's like... If we have a chance as a family to go back sometime, it would be sweet. And when I worked in travel insurance, I was selling insurance to these people who would travel there, who would spend like 20, 30 grand a piece for like a five to 10, like people, like person, family or group. Wow. wow. It's, it's like bananas, but I, I'm sure it's incredible. Right. Like, so. Where is this? Tanzania? Tanzania? Yeah. I mean, pretty much any African safari, like, I had no idea it was that expensive though. So there's, there's always levels to this, right? You'll always find someone offering a premium version of something. That is true. Yeah. I think like 10 or 20. Yeah. But even, even a decent one is like 10 or 20 grand, I think. So I, yeah. I always thought Africa would be like a low cost trip, but you would think man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So coconut, our, our last question for you is if you were to have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Uh, the tough one. I mean, there, there's one guy that we, like me and my brother met pretty early on in our investing. He was an investor out of Toronto, uh, older guy. He owned 
two apartment buildings in Toronto, right? These hundred unit apartment buildings. He, he actually went through the 89 real estate crash, right? He, he was investing prior to then. He lost everything in that crash. Uh, he was sharing how he, he had properties that he, he did sort of real estate syndications. He raised capital. And he said one deal, he raised 66% of the purchase price as equity. And he got 33% as debt, as a mortgage. At the end of the crash, he had to give that property back to the bank because they couldn't keep paying and the property was underwater. Like that's how bad it got at that time. And he lost <laughs> literally everything. And he then rebuilt though, right? He restarted from scratch. And when I met him in, in what was it, 20... 15, 2016 time, he, he had bought these two apartment buildings, one near Ryerson, 100 units, and one Ooh. in North York, 120 units. Damn. Um, <laughs> each building probably had over like $10 million of equity in them. And he was cash flowing. He was saying like over $1,000 a day from each property. But he's actually since passed in the last, last couple of years. So yeah, maybe if I had the chance, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd meet him again. And uh, yeah. Pick his brain maybe on some of the stuff we're doing now. Yeah, that's a phenomenal uh, story. Imagine being uh, 33% uh, debt, you know, and, and uh, still being underwater. Yeah. <laughs> Man, how Imagine bad. the market is dropping 66%. That's effectively what More I'm than 66%, apparently. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he shared in that time, it was both the market dropping and rent controls being implemented. Mm. Right? So by rent controls coming into effect. Multi-units. Yeah. yeah. So as the inflation was taking off and interest rates were rising, they couldn't increase their rents to keep up with it. Right. Yeah. So that forced them to, to give the, the properties back to the bank. And yeah, but you know, curious thing, going back to that story about the condos, we shared with him what we were doing with those student rentals in Mississauga. And he looked at those deals. He looked at the listings. He, he, we shared our numbers and he was like, yeah, these are really good deals. And somehow that was like the vote of confidence we needed. Cause we we're like, we see the potential here. Every other investor we talk to doesn't like this, but then here's this guy. He's done really well in real estate. When he looks at it, he's telling us it's good. So it, it, it was kind of a good, good feeling to have that conversation. with him. Imagine having owning 200 units in the GTA yeah, <laughs> and half the portfolio beside Ryerson. That's crazy. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Kokun, it was phenomenal having you on, man. You are a wealth of knowledge and your story is so inspirational, man. Like people say, don't time the market. Um, it's time in the market. And that's really the takeaway from your story. You started as early as you possibly can. And you have every hurdle that you probably had more hurdles than people have now because you can't get financing like you didn't like you were just graduated from high school, like working minimum wage, but you still got things going right. So there's always a way to make things happen. Um, if people want to reach out to you, whether that be for um, a few other questions, just to connect with you or to work with you as a realtor in the Niagara region, how can they do so? Yeah, the best way if you want to learn more is just check out our YouTube channel. We share like before and afters of our clients' renovation projects. We share the numbers. We, we try to showcase as much as possible so you can learn more about us there. If you're interested in connecting with us, uh, I've shared two links. Uh, maybe you can put it somewhere in the, in the notes. Uh, we have two guides that we've created. One is a beginner's guide to investing in the Niagara region. And another I've created with my architect is a beginner's guide to creating a legal basement apartment. So I would start by getting those. And as soon as you sign up for it, we'll, we'll share other investing information as well as how to get in touch with us. And uh, yeah, we'd be happy to connect. Yeah, that's amazing value, man. So uh, make sure to hit Coconut up if you have any questions about the Niagara region. 
And uh, also make sure to like, subscribe, do whatever you can to support this podcast. It helps bring amazing guests like Coconut to continue to provide value to the community. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.